Hello everyone and welcome to Anto for the Homies. It's a really exciting episode, it's only episode number two, but it's super exciting because it's the first time I'm going to have a guest on. Her name's Roxanne, she's super cool, she's my friend from grad school, she's all around badass and she's a woman of many talents. Uh, now the first minute or so has some bad audio because like I said, it's the first time I had a guest on, so uh, please forgive the bad audio. Uh, if you cannot forgive bad audio and you just don't want to listen to it, then fast forward, you know, about a minute and a half or so um then the audio picks up again all right thanks for listening folks everybody how you doing welcome to um this is anto for the homies and i'm super super excited this is episode number two um but today is the first time we're gonna have a very very special guest so um you may have heard her already um introduce yourself roxanne hello i'm roxanne <laughs> <laughs> what's your last name roxanne mayaral Mayaral. Oh, um, are you? Did I did I see that you're Puerto Rican? Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, I'm Puerto Rican. Oh, tight, tight, tight. Okay, where are you originally from, Roxanne? I don't even know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was born in New York, in the Bronx, and oh, uh, I don't know. Spent my childhood kind of bouncing around. Mostly grew up in Florida. Mm, mostly Florida. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, um, here I am. <laughs> nice, nice. How long have you been on the West Coast for? Um, I have been in Los Angeles since August of 99. August of 99. Wow. In it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, why'd you move? Like, what, what was, uh, what, I mean, what, like, what led uh, to that? <laughs> I came out here because uh, when I was living in, uh, I was living in Fort Lauderdale in South Florida, in okay. Miami. Okay. And uh, I started DJing and uh, the DJing sort of, became a career kind of for a while and I was coming to um, California all the time to DJ hmm. flying back and forth mm -hmm. and um, specifically San Francisco but LA too okay. and so um, I just decided I, I hated Florida because Florida is the worst in Florida <laughs> not, if you watch the news you know yeah I am not I was not a person that was meant to be there <laughs> Um, so I, I was like, I'm out of here. And I packed my bags and shipped all my stuff to LA to a friend's house. And I moved here Wow. and wow. DJed here a bunch and traveled and yeah, did that thing for a long time until I went to school. Cool. 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 That's well, the short version. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I want to, I have a bunch of questions for you, um, about DJing stuff later. Um, so we're going to actually move forward a little bit and tell me what you do now. Um, you do something pretty cool. Oh wait. So uh -huh. let's, let's back up real quick. Um, I met Roxanne at Cal State LA at school, right? So both of us are, um, anthropologists. Uh, we went to California state university, Los Angeles. Uh, we originally met in the bachelor's program and then both of us transitioned to a master's program. Um, I, you know, as I've said before, I have a, my emphasis was archaeology and Roxanne's emphasis is forensic anthropology. Um, so pretty cool, super badass. Um, can you tell us just a little bit more about that? Like, you know, what, what's your title currently and a little bit about what okay. forensic anthropology is? Um, so real quick. Um, so I am currently working as an archaeology monitor for a cultural resource management company, Native American specifically. Um, and I've only been doing that for a little less than a year. But okay. um, before that, <laughs> uh, in my graduate studies, mm -hmm. uh, part of my graduate program was an internship at the 
uh, County Coroner's Office, which is cool. one of the biggest, busiest coroner's office in the country next to New York. It's either New York and LA are the two biggest and busiest. Um, wow. So I really wanted to be in the program because of that. Uh, I knew I would learn quite a bit working with real cases and real bodies at the coroner's office. So um, I ended up getting into the program and I did get the internship. So um, that internship was only supposed to last for a year. Mm -hmm. um, but due to the circumstances of my advisor um, retiring early, um, there was no more program. Uh, other than us that were in my cohort. Okay. And uh, we were kind of the last of the forensic anthropology students at Cal State LA. Mm -hmm. um, so what ended up happening is the coroner's office um, asked us if we could please stay on as their interns until whenever. Nice. <laughs> Forever. Nice. I don't know. Who knows what the future holds? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got lucky so there. I have actually been an intern there now. Mm -hmm. It was only supposed to be a year. I've been there as an intern for over two years. Wow, wow, wow. Let's keep and then up. the cohort, yeah, and then the cohort before me, um, they were also interns that were still, we, our cohorts overlapped. Mm. Um, and so um, they are all still doing cases too. So it's my cohort and the one before me, and we're all still doing cases at the coroner's office. Nice, nice, nice. Super cool. So why forensic anthropology? I mean, uh, okay, first of all, let's uh, tell, tell people a little bit more about uh, what a forensic anthropologist does I, I know you said you're an intern but um just a little bit more about the discipline of forensic anthropology okay um so basically uh you know anthropology being the study of people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh i am an aspect of that study of people so what i do is i focus solely on the skeleton and we use the human skeleton to uh, so that the term forensic means it's um delegated for the law. So uh. anthropology and forensic together means we're using anthropology for the criminal justice system. Uh, wow. So when we're looking at so wow. when we're looking at skeletons, modern skeletons, it's mm -hmm. different than archaeology, where yep, you're looking yep. at historical. Yep, um, yep. when we're looking at modern skeletons, we're looking to answer question a lot of unanswered questions. Of um, for example, uh, if a skeleton is found and you don't know, you don't have any context, you don't, it's just, let's say there's a skeleton found in the woods and um, there's nothing but the skeleton. Maybe the skeleton has some things going on. Mm -hmm. They have a forensic anthropologist do an examination okay. to uh, make a determination on what sex is the individual? Are they male or female? Okay. Um, possibly how they died based on any type of, trauma to their bones uh, wow. we also look so we look at trauma that might have possibly called the cause of death okay we look at all of the aspects of the person mm -hmm. that we can see in the bones that might tell us who they were yeah 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 so okay okay Let, let's let's back up let's back up just a little bit um what is is a forensic anthropologist called out for every time a body is found or is there only certain circumstances where a forensic anthropologist is called out instead of like the body going to um, straight to an autopsy or something like that oh okay um uh, no they <laughs> only call us out <laughs> uh, -huh. uh well i mean they have they have actual anthropologists that are death investigators we can get into that more later if you want but okay. um they hire the, the, the forensic, they like to hire anthropologists because anthropologists are very good at identification between animal and human. 
And a lot of times mm. they get calls and they're like, oh my God, I found a bone in my backyard. 911, <laughs> get out here. And it's a dog bone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or a pig, somebody's old pig roast that they just it's do like, in the backyard. So much barbecue that the dog buried, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, hey, I mean, for the average individual, right, if you do find a bone, like that's, that's good that at least they're calling and they're not just yeah. keeping the bone that, you know, they call to have someone <laughs> like you come, come out and identify. Um, so, okay, so um, they find a body, right? And um, they so need... If they find a body and it's buried, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes, they have the anthropologist come out. Why? Because we know archaeology. Yeah. And we know how to excavate a body properly mm -hmm. without destroying evidence and without damaging the body. Yeah, because context, right? Whatever the uh, body is buried around is the context, you know, gives context for the circumstances surrounding the reason why that individual got there in the first place. So all that little bit of data, every single right. little bit is super important to building the entire picture of like, Hey, you know, like what happened to this person? So, um, you mentioned a little right. bit, um, one thing you do is uh, skeletal analysis, right? And in skeletal analysis, we uh, try to determine um, age and sex. Um, is there, and oftentimes I believe like um, ancestry too, um, is yeah, there, we always do that, actually. Okay. Um, how, I mean, how do you do that? That's, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty crazy. Uh, you have a bunch of bones and you're like. That's my favorite part. <laughs> that's my favorite part about being a forensic anthropologist is the analysis. Mm -hmm. All the stuff leading up to that. Well, we don't have to get gross, but it's gross. <laughs> we, we, we can get <laughs> you know, gross. You know, we have to, most of the time, most of the cases uh -huh. that come through the coroner's office are decomposed bodies. They're not skeletons. That's a reality of being, a, that's a, the other reality of being uh, forensic anthropologist. Okay. You're not just looking at like dry skeleton, like, oh, cool, look at the skull. No, it's mm -hmm. covered in rotting flesh. And I we have to clean the bones, like clean to where there is no more flesh on them, at least so wow. you can see like the surface of the bone because that's important. We have to see what trauma is to the bone. You can't see the trauma if it's covered in a bunch of flesh, unfortunately. So yeah. we have to painstakingly, sometimes it takes days, macerate, which means to just deflesh the bone. Um, okay. And is that and, done? Is that yeah. done in like a big tub or like, I mean, you know, with all, of course, and this is, this is, this is what I'll do. No, no. I mean, it's serious. So this is, you know, of course, with, with all due respect to, um, you know, the victims that, that you work on, it's a very, very noble thing um, that, that you do, but like that actual process itself, um, like, you know, just can you describe it? Like, is it an actual big tub? Um, are there pieces that you place? Like, how does that work? Um, like some weird horror movie. No, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> no uh, the old, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Okay. Um, the way that we do it, because there's really no other effective way for us to do it there specifically, um, mm -hmm. is we, uh, to, the best way to macerate is to cut away as much as you can with a scalpel. Um, and then uh, you take what you have, like you take the bone, let's say it has, still has a bunch of, you know, whatever, mus muscle attachments and things going on. Um, we just put it in like, not boiling per se, but like mm -hmm. really, we have hot plates at the coroner's office and we have big pots. Whoa. And we literally put it on it. I know this is kind of weird to talk about, but yeah. So basically we, this is how you macerate. And even with animals, they do the same thing at the lab, like in Renee's lab, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Dr. Blanowitz, yeah. Yeah, Renee being, um, uh, for, for those of you yeah. who don't know, Renee being an old professor um, that uh, Rock, Roxanne and I both yeah. had. Uh, <laughs> just a little tidbit. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm here talking like everybody knows what I'm talking about. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> Hopefully in the future the listeners do end up knowing like, oh, Renee, I know that guy. That's their old professor or something. <laughs> okay, uh, so maceration. I'll um, con- continue. Yeah, so we put them in pots body parts and pots essentially after we've taken as much off as we can by hand and we let them soak for a couple of days dawn dish soap like mm-hmm. old school tried and true yeah, dawn yeah. dish soap it cannot be any other kind yes yeah, <laughs> for some reason dawn dish soap is like the best i don't know why yeah they also um, use it dawn dish soap, um real quick sorry hot water. sorry they also use it um you know, I, I think of um, like when the big oil tankers spill and the poor little ducks and the birds, they get um, full of all the crude oil and whatnot. They use Dawn <laughs> to wash the little birdies like, off. You want to you get greasy stuff? Dawn. Uh-huh. They, you know, at construction, I don't know if you knew this mm-hmm. or noticed this, but at big construction sites, when mm-hmm. they're hosing down where I'm at, I'm working with asphalt at the particular site that I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's asphalt everywhere and it's all over everything and it's it's just commingled in all the dirt um they hose down the entire site with dawn dish soap and water wow it's like, <laughs> like, I was like what does this water smell funny oh it's, you guys are putting dawn in there weird wow, wow. <laughs> um yeah. wait so um i have another question um i have many questions um uh, are the um, you know are these bodies uh, essentially are they, are they pre-cut? Um, you mentioned that you're you're placing. Oh, yeah. um, do you guys do the the cutting of the I body? Wow! Yeah. So that's part of the whole entire maceration process. It's a good way to learn anatomy. Wow. If you weren't already, I mean, I already knew it. I had to know it, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know regular anatomy like in detail. Mm-hmm. Like I'm okay with muscles, but I can't point to a specific muscle and tell you every single one in my body. Yeah, I know yeah. them from like trunk. <laughs> yeah, bones. bones, <laughs> like, bones. Like, um, but uh, yeah, as forensic anthropologists, we have to know all the muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. We're supposed to anyway. Um, so yeah, yeah it's a, another way to know. You really know, you really get to learn more than you do in, in classes in school. More <laughs> where the the muscle attachments on the bones and like how these things work better, the mechanics of a body when you have to do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Different muscles. I'm interested. Yeah. You, do you know, uh, musc- musculoskeletal markers and, and stuff like that too? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> super yeah, cool. Also. Super cool. Yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah. Um, I remember, um, we, uh, we found a body in Peru, um, on an archeological mm-hmm. site. And this, uh, was, uh, this, the culture we we're working in was about, I want to say around 600 AD, like zero AD to 600 AD, somewhere around there. Um, and okay. this body, um, it was wrapped in a reed mat. So it was um, clearly high status and um, it was buried uh, in the much lower stratum. So it was undisturbed. Oh. It was undisturbed oh, wow. and, and unlooted. Yeah, it was perfectly um, preserved. So this body was wrapped in a reed mat. Um, the gentleman's arm, we had put him about uh, 40 years of age, plus or minus like six years or something like that. Um, and the gentleman's arm was around a, oh. a wooden wooden staff and it had a stone club on it. It was super cool. Um, and then also his head, his skull was underneath a, um, a fishing net, like a really, really, uh, really, really fine fishing net. Oh. 
And then he was buried uh-huh. with uh, large fishing hooks surrounding him. So all these things were telling us that this guy was important. Like he was clearly a high status male. Um, and his body was like perfect. When we did the skeletal analysis on him, he didn't have any disease. Um, he was his oh, teeth. Wow. His teeth looked pretty good. So, you know, he had um, good health. Um, but the indentations he had on the bones of his forearms were ridiculous. And that was the first time like I had ever seen um, someone who we just knew like this guy must have had Popeye forearms. Like just by the way, <laughs> his, yeah, yeah, just the way <laughs> just the way his radius and ulna looked like you we could tell like holy cow this guy did some stuff with his forearm yeah. so um, when i see like really big muscle attachments on bones i was like oh this person was lifting some heavy things in their job you know or their life yeah yeah it's, it's really interesting what a skeleton i mean not only just the context but it's really interesting what a skeleton can tell you and i always find it interesting that like you know that like meme I think it's a meme. <laughs> it's like everybody's the same and it's a skeleton and it's just a repeat of the skeleton. It's just a bunch of skeletons. It's like we're all the same underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually aren't. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So sorry to break it to you. Yeah, and I, I, super I know cool. from like a racial concept, you know, from a concept of race, mm-hmm. um, we're all humans. That's true. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, we're all the same species. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our skeletons have skeletal markers that tell me what that person's ancestry is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're able to tell you what their ancestry is, whether they're mixed ancestry and what things are going on mm-hmm. based on skeletal markers, uh, shapes of things on the skull. We use a skull to do ancestry. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, Which historically um, had, you know, can be a little bit sticky, right? Because at least in the past, there was definitely some some racial connotations associated with with, um, sort of assigning ancestry to skeletons, right? Right. I mean, we can talk about that. Like, basically, like all um, things in the yeah, uh, a bunch of race, a bunch of racist white men. I thought they were better than everybody, especially like, within anthropology. Hmm, um, I think this African American skull is going to be a certain size, and that determines that he was dumb or you know African. It, it's just it, unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Very. Thankfully, that's not a thing in anthropology anymore. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. Yeah, up history, until history blows. <laughs> yeah, up until I believe it, I forget the exact date, but somewhere in the early 1900s, the Smithsonian Institution, yeah. which is the large, one of the best and largest museums right in the United States, um, were, were still um, sending the U.S. and contracting the U.S. Army to kill Native Americans, essentially massacre large numbers of Native Americans, and then bring yeah. their skulls back to the Smithsonian for studying because uh, I forget his name i'll get it for everybody and maybe i'll put it up on on the screen or something afterwards um but he essentially wanted uh, what was it oh no 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 not issue um it was Uh, one of the early anthropologists that was at the smithsonian no no he wanted to prove uh, yeah oh issue oh we could talk about issue too Uh, i actually have a whole um program planned around issue i really want to do um yeah, this gentleman issues some 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 justice. Um, but anyways, this um, person at the Smithsonian 
It was like their mission to prove that Native Americans were inferior to the mighty European, right. air quotes. And so they were literally measuring skulls of Native Americans and putting a bunch of beads in them to determine the size of skulls and be like, oh, if their skull is smaller, clearly they must be inferior, which is actually wrong, right. people. Um, people with bigger skulls, it does not necessarily mean that they're smarter by any means. That That's not, no. that's not what that means. It's, Just... Mm -hmm. That was only something that could be used to be determined evolutionarily mm. when they had a larger skull, their brain size was growing through for evolution. Sure. For sure. Hominids versus Homo sapiens, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, that's uh, that Anthro 2600 coming through right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, is there one thing um, that you wish you would have known prior to getting into forensic anthropology? Is there one thing you could think of where you're like, Oh shit! I really wish they would have told me, blah blah blah. Mm, I mean, uh, well, the one <laughs> I guess the biggest thing for me that stands out uh -huh. is uh, I think when I went into like I always wanted to do forensic anthropology from the moment I decided to go back to school. Okay. And I've been in school for a long time. Like, okay. I worked really hard to get to where I am. I was a high school dropout, and wow. I didn't have anything. And I was like, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to be a forensic anthropologist wow. <laughs> or do, you know, I want to be an anthropologist. And um, I started at, you know, community college and started literally from the bottom. And mm. now I'm here. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> and, you know, it took a while, but ooh, ooh. you got to play the song. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I could do yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically, um, I didn't really think that I would be cutting up like, or having to cut open or deflesh actual fleshy people. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like for some reason was like, Oh, skeletons. Yeah, I can do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to deal with decomp. I guess there's a lot of things you say you'll never do or want to do. And then you're just like, yeah, I'm doing this. Yeah. That's funny. You say that because, um, you know, I kind of have uh, a, a similar story in the sense that I found college a little bit later in life as well. And um, when I was at city, um, community college taking my, you know, um, prerequisites and whatnot, I hated archaeology. I thought archaeology was like the most boring class. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, archaeology. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah, like who does this? Like, why would you do that? I was super into like um, biological anthropology and you know evolution and and stuff like that. Um, actually, um, almost went into primatology. Um, I really wanted to, um, as an undergrad, I really really wanted to work on like primate cognition, like um, you know the the brain of yeah. of different primates just kind of fascinates me. Um, What's one of your most favorite things that you've learned so far? Like, is there any certain tidbit or like factoid or something that you're like, oh, I, I love learning this? Oh, man, that's hard. I can't just really pick one thing. Or, or several. Or what's like one of the uh, cooler latest things you've learned or something? Oh, okay. I, one of the cool, cooler latest things I've learned um, yeah. working at the coroner's office. Uh -huh. um, I learned how to detect um skeletal markers of native americans oh wow that is cool like not just in the skull but in the femur and it's just like I, I love learning new stuff like that wow um i learned recently 
be another way to tell male and female using the zygomatic bone, which I never knew that was a thing. Um, uh, we're working with a new forensic the, anthropologist now, as she teaches us quite a bit. Where's really cool where's the zygomatic bone for the um, audience? If you could uh, tell people, oh, sorry, <laughs> it's, okay. it's right here, and it goes um, from your it's your cheekbone basically, yeah. and it and it goes back next your temporal bone which ends just before your ear hole okay. or sometimes goes past which is a way of telling male and female oh okay cool 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 yeah um, yeah, um is that the is the zygomatic um altered at all during plastic surgery like is that what plastic surgeons work on if somebody gets like their cheeks um, done so to speak if they get their cheeks done and they actually have surgery mm -hmm. then they get cheek implants so they, they put an mm -hmm. implant here to make you have high cheekbones um or to emphasize it more um but nowadays the big thing is injectables it's uh, easy it's a lot cheaper it's non-invasive if they just stick a needle in your face it's they're not cutting you open they're not putting you under anesthesia um it's like the new plastic surgery i guess wow. um it's like sort of the new thing what, um, what do so, they inject like what is being injected <laughs> sounds um, crazy <laughs> Uh, so, um, they use organic compound fillers, essentially it's called hyaluronic acid. Um, hmm. and it's actually composed of organic material that's in bone, oh. um, that is part of the composition of bone. Not, that's not hard. It's like, you know, um, wow. so, I mean, that's just an ingredient in it. And the reason why obviously is because we are organic and, um, the whole point of using this is it's supposed to stimulate collagen in your you know in your skin mm -hmm. to um kind of put that you know elasticity back into your skin as you're aging well um that's a it, it only lasts for about six months to a year so you have to keep going back and getting it yeah it's not permanent. so you shared um a little bit with me um about your thesis um so your the right. thesis that you're working on um what are some of the reasons that you found um, that people sort of feel the need or do these things to alter their bodies in ways that may to some be considered, you know, unnatural. Like what, what is it that you have found or, yeah. you know, you've seen or, or learned in your experiences that causes somebody to be like, oh man, I want, um, injections in my cheek. It's a kind of a tough question. <laughs> Um, no, it's okay. Um, well, um, it's kind of a regional question because um, mm. cultural ideologies of beauty depend on your culture. Mm. So let's say Los Angeles, for example. Los Angeles is a celebrity culture, uh, essentially. The mm -hmm. city is, um, you know, where people come to get famous or become actors, become yeah. musicians, become... Yeah know known and seen so um there's a lot of pressure if you are coming here to do that sort of thing let's say um and not only if you are let's say you're just a normal person going to a normal nine-to-five job you just what the reason why people feel this societal pressure mm -hmm. to um conform to look a specific way is because we are always on the phone <laughs> and the phone is social media and social media is just bombard you with images of false images, photoshopped, right? airbrushed, 
plastic surgery, you know, injectables, you're constantly bombarded with all of these ideologies Mm -hmm. um, put upon you as to what is normal and what you should look like. Um, And that, like, I mean, I know I'm forensic anthropologist, but um, since I didn't end up doing a forensic anthropologist thesis, I don't know if we want to get into that whole story, but um, (laughs) I was going to do a forensic aspect of the plastic surgery and I ended up doing cultural, which I find fascinating and really interesting because at the the end of the day, I'm an anthropologist and I like to study people and why people do things and why they think the way they do and why they do, you know, why they put in, you know, needles in their face to feel like they look younger. And there's a lot behind that. There's age, ageism, there's pressure Mm -hmm. to look good here. Even if you're a server, if you work in a restaurant or a bar, Mm -hmm. you're competing for a job based on how you look. Totally. You know, so, um, yeah, so basically that's what I did my thesis on and, uh, it should be done in a couple weeks. It's, uh, congratulations. Uh, by the, by the way, I'll give you, give me a round of applause, uh, for, uh, (laughs) okay, I'll stop doing that. Uh, so this is it's actually really cool that you talk about this because this is also this is anthropology in a sense right like you know you um are a forensic anthropologist and it's something that you're passionate about but we also bring in you know the culture aspect and so one thing within anthropology uh sort of like a concept um you know that roxanne and i both know about is holism and the idea of having like a holistic perspective in what you're working on and trying to look at something from sort of as many different avenues as you can to build like a a complete picture. And there's the friends, you know, to plastic surgery, there's something like a forensic aspect, there's a a cultural aspect. Um, And so it just kind of illustrates the the complexities of of people. Um, Roxanne, if there's, if there's anything that you could debunk um, within the field of forensic anthropology. And I say this because um, there's a ton of like TV shows um, about oh, forensic anthropology <laughs> and stuff like that. So if you could debunk anything, uh, what, what would you debunk? Um, well, I would pick forensic anthropology, obviously, because that's more of my specialty. But um, you can't. OK, let's use the show Bones, okay. for example. OK. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. I love it. I hate it when people are like, oh, so you're like Bones? Yeah, no. like <laughs> that shit's not humanly possible. So like you, I can't look at a skeleton and be like, this person died at this time. No one can do that. Pathologists can't do that. When, they, when you take a pathology class, because I had to take a lot of pathology and criminal classes because I'm doing forensics. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first thing I tell you is we cannot tell you exactly when someone died ever. Like on the show Bones, when she walks up to a body and she's like, oh, he must have died last night at 8 p.m. Like, <laughs> no, nobody can do that. No pathologist can do that. Nobody can do that. It's impossible. Hmm. Um, there are so many variables that go into decomposition and all of the, like, it's crazy. So like, especially in Los Angeles where it's 80 during the day and 40 at night. Yeah. 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 So, so, okay. So weather or temperature, temperature is is one of those variables, something like, um, like soil condition or or where the, the, the body is. Um, what are some other variables that, um, I'll give you an example of a case I just had. Um, I can't really talk about the case, but I can talk about like, the postmortem, what we call postmortem interval, which is what, does that mean? Uh, what we post mortem interval means uh-huh. that um, 
the interval of how long they've been there post mortem after they died. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, thanks, so there's thanks for uh, breaking that down for, our, really for our listeners. <laughs> Anti mortem. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just go over vocabulary really quick. Yeah, totally. Anti mortem means before death. <laughs> Peri mortem means at the time of death, okay. and post mortem means after they died. Um, so we look for things that tell us if it is post-mortem, anti-mortem, or perimortem. If we see anything that's perimortem, that means that probably could have caused a death. Um, like we see a break. There's a way to tell if a broken bone happened anti, mm-hmm. peri, or post. Yep, yep, yep. Um, if it's anti, there's healing. The bone is healed. Bones heal just like the skin heals. Yep. You know, there's calluses and everything on bone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we can tell that. Uh, peri. Uh, you can tell because um, let's say it's a broken leg or something. Okay. Um, the the break is um, very jagged. I don't know how to. I'm not really sure how to explain this without showing you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Do your best. Do your best. <laughs> if, if it's, let, let me just go forward. If it's post mortem, uh-huh. um, you can tell bone get, tends to get very dry and very brittle after death after it's especially after a while mm-hmm. um and you can when a bone if a piece of bone breaks you can see sort of layers of bone there mm-hmm. even if it's just one piece of bone there's like two it, it's flaky yeah, i guess yeah, yeah no, is I... a way to put it it's like flaky and dry you can tell it's postmortem. yeah similar to like it's um, not uh, that it's um probably perimortem. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the flakiness, um, similar to like a, a, a cracker or a breadstick, right? Like if you have a really, really dry breadstick and you break a yeah. bread, you break a breadstick yeah. in the middle and then you see like, uh, there's not like a clean break. It's not like a straight line or a saw cut or something. It has sort of right angles and yeah. jaggedy edges and it looks like a different color too, right? It's like the, the bone on the inside right. is a little bit lighter color. So you see the, the difference in, in coloration, there, you, can, so you know, right. Different colors. Um, there's all kinds of things. I don't, I don't want to get too technical with bone breaks because <laughs> it could get really, really deep and confusing. Yeah, it um, can. It totally can. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically, uh, so let's say, for example, um, a case that I had, mm-hmm. uh, there was a body found. Um, I did not get to see the crime scene photos. This was a body that was just brought straight back to the coroner's office. Okay. Um, the body was a skeleton um, with some bits partially mummified throughout, but mostly a skeleton from the waist up. And it was a fully fleshy body in about the third stage of decay from the waist down. Whoa. <laughs> I have no idea. Whoa. I like never, I've, I've had a lot of cases. I don't know, over a hundred at this point. I can't, I lost count a while ago. Wow. I've never seen anything like that. Ever. <laughs> so is that, it was does that mean they were crazy. like half in something and half out? Like they were partially exposed for some period of time, which led to a, a difference um, in that? Or like, how did that happen? What did you guys determine? I'm, yeah, well, we I can't say too much about, I, all I can say was the body was in um, some brush, oh, trees wow. and bushes and things, uh-huh. but in the middle of a urban area, oh. but hidden Whoa. Um, so uh, I don't, I'm assuming mm-hmm. based on like rates of decomposition, um, cold and wet, slow decomposition down, hot and dry, speed it up. 
So I'm assuming maybe the lower portion of the body was very covered, mm. like in bushes and mm-hmm. the bushes maybe were damp because, you know, we get like, you know, in the morning, everything's very damp. Yep, yep, so yep. I'm thinking that was the case and the upper portion of the body was way more exposed and there were probably animals because you have to deal with scavenging and animals eating, you know. So, um, yeah, I, if it wasn't for the there's a lot of context to this particular case of course. where we knew what the post-mortal interval was um, and we didn't have to figure it out because <laughs> wow. we kind of figured out there was more context to the case. So we kind of knew um, who she was kind of, mm-hmm. it's, I'll, you know, anyway. Yeah, no, um, thanks for doing that. You actually, um, yeah, these are the things, yeah, these are the things that we have to do um, also to kind of, we don't just, so another big thing that they do, if a body is found, let's say there's an ID in their pocket. Mm-hmm. You can't just pull out the ID and be like, this is who it is. Because <laughs> oh, what if really? that's a stolen wallet? <laughs> yeah, true. You don't know. Yeah. Even even when people are found in their own homes, if they're skeletonized oh. and they're unrecognizable, or decomposed to the point where they're unrecognizable, uh-huh. they don't make any assumptions. That's why they have forensic anthro look at these cases because wow. they want to be sure. You do not want to make a mistake <laughs> of just making assumptions when it comes to, you know, people mm-hmm. and their legacy or like, you know, you want to answer these questions. That's what we're there for. Yeah. Thanks. You know, Thank like, you especially for, uh... when it comes to a person who lived a life and that's meaningful and that's meaningful to whoever their loved ones are. So, you know, it's important to do, um, really rigorous study and work and analysis and figuring out and answering the questions for these people who can't anymore because they died. Yeah. That's, um, that's good science. So, um, thank you for doing good science. You know, um, that's, uh, it's, uh, (laughs) it's not, it's not easy. Um, I've personally been, been in rooms with, with many skeletons and I didn't really like it that much. So I didn't choose to, to, to go, to go. It's definitely not for everyone. I see the craziest things mm. uh, i mean outside of my own you know because it's the coroner's office i see everything coming in there yeah um so it is there quite sad <laughs> but uh, you know you push through and you do it because it needs to be done yeah so on that on that sort of line um is there um are there any individuals that you like really look up to maybe like can you describe or tell us about one or two individuals um that you look up to that sort of motivate you to keep doing this because i could imagine it can be a little difficult (laughs) to say the least right like Uh, doing what you do so are there any can you think of someone or maybe two people um that you know that you just sort of look up to in, in some ways and that you know continue to motivate you to do what you do um i would say probably the number one person currently is um dr vicky wadle she is the person who took over for dr miller who you know who was my old advisor and friends again just for the coroner's office she took over for dr miller mm-hmm. and she's wonderful mm-hmm. she is a good aspiration she's like a great mentor and in, in forensic anthropology mm-hmm. she um, is extremely helpful. She's brilliant. She's written books. You know, we're about the same age. She has multiple degrees. Um, she's just like a joy to work with. And, and that's really important when you're working in a circumstance where you're dealing with so much death. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. not that we're like joking around, you know, I mean, you, you know, we're human beings. We kind of sometimes, um, humor is the way that you sort of get through all <laughs> the sadness and death, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's good to have, um, a group of people you can be around and work with that, um, sort of make it easier to push through that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so yeah, totally. I love her. She's, Fantastic. She's my hero. <laughs> cool. cool. Shout, shout out to shout out yeah. to Dr. Wadel. Um, is there uh it's Dr. Yeah. Wadel, right? Did I say her last name correctly? Yeah. yeah. Um, was there a moment for you? Um, this is gonna be my last question for you, um, on the forensic anthropology tip and then we'll we'll transfer something else. Um, is there a moment for you, like a defining moment where you're like, I need to do this? Like I'm going after forensic anthropology, I'm going in it. I'm doing it. Boom. What was that moment? Can you describe that over like the whole process? Um, <laughs> like when I decided I was going to go back to school and do this. Yeah. And like specifically, yeah. And specifically forensic <laughs> anthropology. Like what was the deciding factor for you that you're like, um, I need to do forensic anthropology. Hmm. Um, that's really a hard, tough question. Cause I've been doing this for a long time. Um, <laughs> well initially, oh, okay. So I, already had like a job. I don't know if I'd call it a career. I mean, I was doing my DJ thing, which we will get to. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing that. I was also working a full-time job in retail and I was like in management, upper management. And I just hated it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to sound kind of crazy, but I hated it. I just hated talking to people. I hated fighting with people. Mm -hmm. Like, fuck all these people. Why am I doing this? <laughs> like I had great insurance and was making decent money, but I was like, what the fuck? I, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. This is horrible. Wow. Why do I want to live out the rest of my only days doing this shit? Yeah. And I just was like, at the time I had um, a boyfriend. I was in a relationship with a guy who, um, he was an actor, you know, of course, I live in LA. <laughs> um, and he decided to go back to school to, um, finished his degree and he was like a really great writer. And so he kind of wanted to get into the English stuff and cool. kind of do like an English lit degree or something. And so he went back and he, he talked me into go. He was like, you, you hate your job. Uh, like go, well, you should think about, and I was like really into true crime and really just like deep in it. I mean, I always have been, I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm like that bitch. I goes to sleep just watching. A lot of people, a lot of people are like that. I'm like, mystery like, yeah yeah a lot of people like that my parents um, my parents so like that said, too <laughs> I'm sorry, I such a like deep love for it. and i was just so into it i was like man like i really wish i could do this mm -hmm. in some capacity mm -hmm. and i really did have like i really did love the study of people i was always i've always been very fascinated by you know why people do things, mm -hmm. I, I, psychology is another big thing, but I didn't really mm -hmm. quite want to go and get a degree in psychology. Yeah. And if I did, I would do like forensic or, um, you know, that kind of, I would go more into that route, mm -hmm. but I thought about that real hard too. And I was like, do I really want to be studying the brains of horrible people? <laughs> yeah. You know, wow. like wow. another, it's, it's just another aspect of it. So I, I just, you know, I thought about it and I was like, well, 
hmm, <laughs> what else can I do hmm. that will sort of satisfy my desire to solve things? And I think that's maybe that comes from a love of like doing puzzles and things, but I do like <laughs> solve it, I do, like solve things. <laughs> from so puzzles I to bones. Just, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, skeleton I is a giant puzzle. How many bones I had to put back together? So many. Yeah, um, I can imagine. <laughs> basically, basically the same thing. Yeah, um, for sure. So I, I essentially was like, well, um, you know. Let me look into, like, I started sort of diving into biological anthropology and, like, mm. what it meant to be a biological anthropologist, and I really was, I loved it. And so I um, decided, well, okay, anthropology, that's what I want to do. And then I found out about, I looked into actually being a pathologist, which okay. is uh, a doctor who does autopsies. Yeah. Um, quite specific. And so I... I looked into it and then realized I had to go to medical school and I was like, no, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> because I was already older going back to school and who the hell has time for med school? I don't have time. I've already <laughs> been in school forever. Yeah. And so um, I decided against it because of the med school, but pathologists are like, aside from plastic surgeons, like the highest paid doctors and there's a shortage of them. Nobody ever wants to be a pathologist. I don't know why, but wow. you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Uh, it's um, not so exactly don't be a pathologist, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so I kind of that led me to the forensic anthropology because I was like, hmm, pathology, don't want to go to med school. Oh, hey, look at this. I can do bones, I can do forensic anthropology, I can solve puzzles, yeah. I can do anthropology like all in one thing, all in one go. And um, so I signed up to go to PCC and signed up for classes, spoke mm. to an advisor, um, was like, I want anthropology or that, you know, as my AA major, whatever, and met the anthropologist there, fell in love with anthropology. And mind you, I had come in with like in my 30s as a high school dropout. Not that I'm a dummy because I'm not. No, man, but, not at all. You know. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, yeah, but I had never written a paper before. Mm. And I was writing papers. And I remember the first time I wrote a paper, my professor was like, like I think you should publish this. I was like, bitch, get the fuck out of here. I didn't publish it. <laughs> like, wow. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> wow. And I didn't know I had this talent to write or, like, mm. I didn't know I'd be able to do any of this. It was scary. I was like, I'm an idiot. I don't know if I can do this, but I – did and I did I kind of did really well and yeah for sure I loved anthropology. There's you know, that. There, that's what you know. That's how that's how I found out about Dr. Miller. Also, mm, by the way, mm, when that, I started I, my AA four years before I got to Cal State LA. Uh -huh, mm. Dr. Miller, who uh, was a former forensic anthropologist of LA County Coroner's Office, and then also taught at. Um, Cal State LA. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's really inspiring, dude. <laughs> it's like super inspiring because um, I started, like I, I mentioned before, I started like my career um, later as well. And I, you know, um, wasn't happy with what I was doing. And there's always this like 
thirst for more. Um, yeah. So that's cool that you found anthropology and that we both share love for anthropology. Um, I really hope, uh, you know, I could have you on the podcast more and, you know, we could talk, we could nerd out more about anthropology and uh, bones and uh, <laughs> a bunch of other stuff. Right. But um, now I actually want to transition um, a little bit. And so thank you for sharing everything about anthropology. Um, you, you're also a DJ, <laughs> you're a professional DJ. Uh, so super cool. I was actually on a podcast. Um, I was on my primos podcast, shout out to my primos. And then they were asking me questions and I was like, Oh yeah, on my podcast, I'm going to have my friend Roxanne. She's a forensic anthropologist and a D- DJ. And they were like, what, how many of them are you? <laughs> I was like, what? how many, what do you mean? How many are there? Uh, I, I don't know. I just know of us too, unless you know of more um, people that like to excavate <laughs> and DJ. But um, actually, I have a friend. Um, his name is Chris Muniz, and he mm. graduated from CLA, and okay. he just graduated his PhD. He's a professor there. He's also like an old school junglist DJ who's been my homie for like twenty years. Sweet. And yeah, we're out there. Out here. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet. That's dope. Well, I mean, um, you know, I look up to you in, in that sense for sure, dude. Um, you're totally a badass. Why? Um, okay, let's back up. Um, I mean, is it correct to consider yourself a drum and bass DJ? Like, is, is that accurate? Or like, I don't want to limit you or anything like that. But is it is it no, fair I'm to say? <laughs> I'm a drum and bass DJ. That's what I get booked as known as i've known as a drummer based dj Sick. Fuck um, yeah, dude. I, do other, I do play other stuff i'm a versatile dj but uh-huh. career-wise drum and bass dj um but, yeah so like okay when i think of drum and bass i think of a bunch of sweaty dudes in a room like mosh pitting <laughs> Whoa, what <laughs> how how is it that um how is it that you got into drum and bass like it's not exactly um like they don't they don't play it on the radio uh, at least mainstream wise (laughs) yeah um okay um well the i'll try to make it short um (laughs) i was working in clubs um as like a bartender i just started bartending i was like 20 21 okay and um they used to do like sort of like late night raves at this big massive club i used to work at in fort lauderdale and um through working there i discovered raves Mm -hmm. and electronic music and then through that i discovered drum and bass and I, when I discovered electronic music, I was like, I want to be a DJ. Before that, I kind of wanted to be a hip hop DJ, to be honest. And Dope. Uh, this was a long time ago. It was in the late, like mid, late 90s. And nobody took me seriously. They were like, you want to be a DJ? Okay, girl, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Honestly, like that's literally how. Yeah, I wanted to be a hip hop DJ. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of laughed at me. And I was like, fuck you, I'll teach myself. <laughs> and so. <laughs> Dope. As I do. Um, and so I had a friend who, um, another girlfriend of mine who, uh, she was a trance DJ. Mm-hmm. She was into Goa trance, which is super specific. Yeah. Um, but she had all these records at home mm-hmm. and I ended up living, being roommates with her and living with her. And she taught me how to DJ with all her trance records. Dope. And she had two jungle drum and bass records and she was like you can have these since this is like your jam (laughs) and she gave me my first drum bass records but i learned how to dj with like four you know with four on floor like house 
trance techno. That's how I learned how to DJ, how to like beat match. Yeah. And that with vinyl, vinyl, because we did not have the technology we have today. <laughs> um, I was old school. And so, uh, yeah, I just, I like discuss, you know, I started ordering like, uh, you know, the, the compilation CDs from the UK that they used to do. They used to do them for drum and bass and they did them for trance and all these different things. Yeah, I would yeah, order yeah. those and I was super into it and mm-hmm. sort of just, just start discovering music. And then I started going to the record store and I was learning how to beat match and how to DJ, you know, bedroom. And I would go to the record store every week and just listen to records and buy records that of sounds that appealed to me, you know, Dope. I don't know what I was doing. I was like figuring out <laughs> and yeah. So I, how did I just learn how to DJ? That was it. How did know. you how did you go from learning how to DJ to then having a career in DJing? Was there um, did did you start playing at that bar that you worked at as a bartender, or did you like start with local gigs and did you meet somebody? Like, what's up? Um, yeah. So you know, every um, culturally speaking, here comes the anthropologist. <laughs> 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 um, you know, every. Um, all music has its own culture mm-hmm. and different styles of music have their own culture. So there's a culture of music and then there's all the subcultures. Mm-hmm. And so with drum and bass, drum and bass has its own culture of people. Mm-hmm. And so when I got into drum and bass, I started going to raves and I started going to clubs and anywhere I could find it, I would go to, and it was hard to find, especially back then because drum and bass wasn't, it was a UK. It's from the UK. It's yeah. in English music. I, you know, I learned how to DJ. I started going out to all the clubs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up um, meeting a bunch of people in the scene, like meeting people who had a love for it as well. I also like met some of them because I worked as a bartender at clubs and then the, you know, everybody, these sections of music always end up crossing each other. Yeah. Um, so you meet a lot of people just being a bartender, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, through that, I sort of met um, the people who, the small, very small scene of people who were involved in drum and bass in South Florida. And so um, there was a couple of like crews of people, like they had their little crew, their little clique of drum and bass, and they, did their things and made their mixtapes and put out stuff and um, had their own little club nights. You had to do your own thing ah. all the time. That's just kind of how it always worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd find a club and try to do your own night. And um, yeah, eventually I found, you know, my people and <laughs> you tried. <laughs> became my, my people and yeah, my pride. <laughs> and um, I, I played it through these people. Everybody is so connected and the world is so small when you're in um, the world of, at least in drum and bass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's small, even in like worldwide, For sure. like everybody knows everybody. I don't know. Like, it's just sort of one of those things once you get to a point and you're playing all the time and yeah. you're traveling and you meet people all over the place, you just kind of get to know all the people, especially the prominent people in the scene. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, I met some people. I started playing at a club night and you know, it took time. Like I, I don't think like the skill of DJing and being able to beat match, like anybody can do that. It's more about being a DJ in the sense that 
you are creating a mood and creating a vibe and creating a, a sound with a bunch of other people's music. Yeah. You know, you're putting together a bunch of songs orchestrally, so to speak. Um, and you're mixing these things together in your own way, which is your own personal style, which is why I think DJs get booked right for being them for sure because of their There's, style and their how sound they and what that brings or the party, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, sure. yeah, I mean, it just sort of like, it's like, oh, I knew this person, and then, you know, you start your own collective of DJs and people, and then um, it's definitely a who you know situation, but you can't just, like, know people and be a shitty DJ. Yeah, you need some skill. Especially yeah. being a female, which is a whole other story. Yeah, I, can, um, I can't even imagine, to, only- to be honest. Yeah, I mean, now there's a million, but uh, when I first started DJing, mm. then there was, uh, in the drum and bass world in the UK, there was Chemistry and Storm, mm. who were the big, you know, they were really big, and there was DJ Rap, and then, um, what's her name? Uh, oh my god, DJ Flight. Um, those are all UK, uh, and then there was, here in the US, there was um, Empress, Reed Speed, uh sage oh sage a couple others from new york those are like the main ones and myself yeah that's badass which you know came later but um yeah essentially there was a couple of others i've left out but um that's funny that that's funny that you say that like the music crowd starts off small because i actually remember seeing you before you even at cal state la um i remember you were seeing you at little death (laughs) events um you would like check our ids and stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so i remember seeing you around you have like a yeah um little death events were were super awesome i, I missed up um the one night gypsy was a really fun place <laughs> um those events were super cool oh, but yeah 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 so it's funny it is it is totally a small small industry um what is one of your most memorable experiences? Like when you look back at your career of DJing, is there anything that stands out in particular that you just truly, truly cherish, like a memory that you cherish? Do you mean like a show or just? Yeah. Yeah. If there's anything in, in part- general, <laughs> yeah. Like, like what, what, yeah. Like what stands I mean, out most? Like if you could think back on your career, like, okay, okay. Let me put it to you this way. if if um you were gonna experience something and then your whole dj life flashed before your eyes what would come up like what would you what would you see (laughs) a lot of um i was about to say drugs but no that's not true exactly um a little true, maybe. <laughs> when I was younger, yeah, not. Um, uh, shit, man. Um, okay. Well, if I had to pick a show, mm-hmm. shit, man, it's really hard because there's a lot. <laughs> We're talking twenty over twenty years of DJing. Wow. Um, okay, I will say it. of all the. <laughs> <laughs> that deserved a round of applause. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, of all the 
play, I, I, you know, honestly, the thing that stands out to me the absolute most is mm -hmm. the, the friendships I've made and the people I've connected with. That is my most cherished uh, takeaway wow. and music because I can't do anything without that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, my most cherished takeaway would be the lives I've intertwined with my friends from all of my friends all over the world. It's mad. And I talk to you all the time. I miss them. I can't see them because of this coronavirus bullshit. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, what a, it is what it is. We're human beings. We do this shit to ourselves, by the way, but whatever. Mm. Um, <laughs> so uh, aside from that, we're not. We're going to breeze on past that comment. Yeah. Aside from that, um, <laughs> uh, my favorite, like, shows i guess were my were playing in san francisco those are like my fondest um memories of djing i guess um having a good time and just not just me playing but like with all the other djs everyone all of that whole san francisco crew of djs which was sage and ufo and oh, like the funkatech crew all of those people Sick. Um, they were really very essential to me being a, a well-known DJ out here as well, because they sort of welcomed me into their family and their world and their nights that they did. Um, they did a couple in San Francisco. They did Eclectic and they did The Basement, um, which were quite big. Oh, and Star Eyes. She was another one I forgot to mention who's really important. Um, and yeah, they were, they like, were kind of like a second family they were like my west coast family um and that was all of that i did a lot of like music production with them i toured with them we played shows all over the country together sweet um yeah like it was that was very if i cherish anything it's only those moments in San francisco and you know like i said um all the friendships i've made around the world yeah yeah, yeah. That's super cool, dude. Not like there's a small amount of people who can have or talk about the experiences that you have. Um, so that's uh, super, super cool. Um, you you know, you have um, many, many talents. So something you also do um, that I've seen from Instagram is you also model. So that's pretty badass. Um, did you like, did modeling come after DJing or did modeling like, would, did you grow up a model or like how, how does someone become a model? <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in, in the age in the I age before in the age before um, instagram I, uh, modeling in, agency <laughs> i was young i was like tw no how old was i 13 14 i don't know somewhere mm. around there mm. i was really young and you know i had some talent scout came up to me and was like hey you should come to this model agency and i was like all right you know like being <laughs> a kid and not knowing any better it wasn't like it, I, you know, you have to be careful because you never know what you're dealing with, with that. You don't know what's legit and what's not legit when you're 14 years old. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and for I sure. think my mom was a little like, I don't know about this. You know, <laughs> I have to pay for it. I, I want to, we're not doing that shit. Wow. <laughs> you know? So, um, it, like the first experience with it was just kind of like whatever. And then I was one day in like a, where the hell was I? I was in a craft store. Like, I can't remember one of the big name craft stores on the East Coast. And this woman came up to me and she was like, oh my God, you're gorgeous. And I'm a photographer and I want to take photos of you and take you to the agencies in Miami. And I was just like, 
who are you ladies? <laughs> and um, it was something I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, it so happened random. to me, but, I, you know, because I'm like super tall too, so I kind of stand out. But so she like came up to me and was like, and she was a woman, so I think I was a little bit more trusting of her. Mm. Um, and so I did end up shooting with her and she kind of became like this second mother to me. Um, wow. And she kind of like, I don't know, sort of helped me through the agency bit. And she took me to agencies and she took photos of me and um, kind of pushed me into that life, so to speak, but not in a bad, not in a bad way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I was being forced or anything. She just was, um, you know, trying her best and, and doing it in a way where she was trying to so at least, um, you know, I wasn't um, going to get taken advantage of, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she sure. was always like there looking out for me, I guess you could say. Because it's a it's shady, it can be a very shady business and it's not, it's not the best. It's not, it's definitely, it has its moments of fun, but I never really found it to be very fun. Um, yeah. The only time I found it to be fun is if I was working with photographers I wanted to work to and it was more for the sake of art rather than the sake of, you know, pretending to be something on camera because whatever. I honestly, um, I did a lot of runway and that I really enjoyed doing that. Oh. I really hated going on castings. I'm not an actor. I did not like, I'm the most unfake person. I'm not a person who can fake it. I'm not good <laughs> at telling lies. I'm usually that person tells you exactly how I feel right to your face. <laughs> um, oh, fuck. Um, so I was never really good at that. <laughs> I was never good at that. Um, and, you know, I did my thing. I worked as a model for a while. I was with pretty prominent modeling agencies in Miami. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started DJing. And that sort of took precedent over everything. I was like, oh, music is it. Why, you know, I don't care about modeling anymore. And I, when I moved, I just gave it up. I wasn't. I wasn't contracted to anyone anymore. I was just like, peace out. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do this DJ thing. And so I did that for a long time. And then somebody, I don't remember how it happened, but somebody approached me. I think it was here in LA and asked me to go on some casting for models for an agency here. Mm. And I was like, ugh, <laughs> I was not interested. And I don't, I can't even remember who it was that somebody talked me into it. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. But I was already at that point, like super tattooed, <clears throat> not as much as I am now, but I had this one tattoo on my arm. I mean, I had tattoos mm -hmm. and that was like something you don't do in high fashion. They yeah, were very yeah. unaccepting of that when I was a high fashion model. Yeah. So now like I had a couple of tattoos when mm -hmm. I was like in high fashion model. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't like now I'm covered. I have sleep and whatever. Yeah, and yeah. so um, I kind of did that on. I think subconsciously I kind of did that on purpose because I just didn't want to be in modeling anymore. And I was like, I just have wow. fucking tattoo the shit on myself and wow. whatever. And so I mean, I love tattoos. This is not the reason why I did it, but I think subconsciously maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so like a rebelling moment for me. For and sure. So I. Uh, I thought it was really funny when people were approaching me and I was like, do you see, all, do you see my tattoos? Like, are you sure? And um, they were like, no, you know, come do the thing. So I ended up signing with this agency here in LA, which 
mm, I was here North, you know, I was kind of iffy about, but I was like, fine, whatever. And I got to do some cool things, but in the end, mm-hmm. it was I was just unhappy doing it again. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that made me again unhappy about it was going on castings and having to be in the room with like 500 other people are yeah. trying to get the same thing you're trying to get. I'm like, the fuck this shit. It's super <laughs> like, super competitive. Not, it's, it's, I'm not, not here for this at yeah. all. Like I'm not trying to compete. It's just. And not because it's I rough. can't, I just don't want to. What's the fucking point? Anyway. Yeah, it's rough. Um, it's rough. So now, so now I, nowadays I it's, um, like, sorry, go ahead. So good. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't remember what I was going to say. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, um, like nowadays a model with tattoos is considered like an alternative air quotes model, right? Like a sort of non, non-traditional, but it's still something that is a lot more common, especially now, right? We do see uh, different types of models or now influencers, right? Like I'm not certain, um, I guess what's the, the exact difference or definition between someone who is like just, just an influencer or like a model, right? Like, is there, they, I mean, do you you get what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. We're gonna start comparing um, career influencers who you know essentially <laughs> they do that for their career, but yeah. that's like a really deeper. That's a much. Um, I don't think we should get too deep into that. We'll be here forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, maybe we um, could. Uh, maybe we. Yeah. Could... So I think that's part of the reason. No, go ahead. Maybe we can what? Uh, maybe we could get into that um, n- next time. That could be like a, the the next podcast yeah. episode or something. If you're up for it, we could get, <laughs> dive deep into that. All right. Yeah. Yeah, we can dive into that another uh, time. So, because um, I I definitely talk about a lot a lot in my thesis, like because it all ties into the whole plastic surgery thing, like influencers and um, the promotion of the self to gain. Things like free plastic surgery, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know. Um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so um, real quick, so to finish, uh, yeah, so I basically got, I signed with this agency. Um, it wasn't going great. I went on some castings, I did some things, but I was just like, I don't want to be doing this. And um, I talked them into letting me out of the contract. <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, look, you're not booking me for a bunch of shit anyway because I'm all tattooed and like, it was just really weird, but, um, yeah, so I got out of it and it was all good. They were very nice about it. We're like, okay, cool. Bye. Um, wow. and then, uh, the only things I would do modeling wise were, uh, for artists or people who I know like to do something a little different, not just like your typical high fashion thing. I kind of wanted to mix the high fashion with art and with, you know, all these really talented um, photographers who were also artists. Um, That was really, that is fun to me. And that is interesting to me doing something a little bit more substantial than, I don't know, at least I find it that way. Yeah, yeah. That's my my For sure. I've seen some um, photos that you post. Um, They're pretty cool. They have sort of like futuristic or like a comic sort of vibe. They definitely have 
that um, visual artist aspect of it, not just like, hey, this is a woman who's posing or whatever, but they have some really cool like right. noir or like comic style um, tones. So right. um, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty cool work. Um, someone that I have um, upcoming on on the podcast, another guest, um, uh, she's a dear friend of mine. Her name's Natalie. Um, we're gonna be talking um, about identity. Um, so it kind of like, you know, touches, touches along, um, similar lines of that. Um, my friend Nat, she's super, super cool girl. Um, she's actually releasing a new program, um, sort of like, uh, I'll be, I'll be, I want her to explain it. Uh, I don't want to butcher it or anything like that. So one thing that, one thing that I'm going to do, um, with all my guests, um, is I want to, I want to finish with two questions, right? I may add, um, more, more questions, but being that this is anthro for the homies, um, and this is sort of we could go like uh you know high level or you could go as deep as deep as you want um you know you have a baseline knowledge and understanding of evolution um what do you think is next for us as a species like a human species like where do you how do you see us um evolving right like if evolution you know um some people often think of that stupid graphic of like uh, old primate and then the primate starting to walk upright and then eventually it's like a caveman with the spear and that's mm-hmm. totally wrong and we'll we could get into to to why that's wrong in another episode but um roxanne where do you see um people headed like what, what's next in our evolution huh um i would at this rate call it a de-evolution <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> It's it's a big question. I know it's a yeah, it's, a, it's um, a pretty big question. <laughs> it's there's so many things now that affect that. I mean, mm-hmm. the biggest thing that affects evolution of our species is technology. Mm, for sure, and it affects it so intensely in so many ways. Mm-hmm. That's why I said DM. Because there's a, a, a very vast, extremely fast evolution of technology, but we seem to be sort of going backwards. I mean, I don't want to get into a bunch of politics and science versus, you know, pseudoscience or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, one just needs to watch the news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, it's really hard to say. I, I think, I think that. Um, and any evolution of our species mm-hmm. in the future is going to be highly affected by technology. For sure. In what way? Who the hell knows. Yeah. Watch a Black Mirror episode. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking something similar, right? Like, um, obviously, it has something to do with technology, and I, I, I don't know if it's given like our current state of affairs, but um, in thinking of this question, like, what would my answer be? I was sort of getting along the lines of a de de evolving or or de evolution as well. I was thinking more along the lines of like. Um, maybe we're gonna fuck this up for ourselves, <laughs> and so we're gonna like develop some some bomb or some sort of catastrophic catastrophic event, and we're gonna like fuck ourselves up, and that's that's why I think it's like a a de-evolution. Um, okay, and then my last question, um, because you know this is an anthropology podcast, and this is um, you know an- anthrop for the homies, and anthropology deals with people. Um, who's your favorite person, and why? This is a lot, a little bit of a lighter, funner question, but who's your favorite person, and why are they your favorite person? In general? Yeah, yeah, like like in general, who's 
my god. Yeah. I have a lot of favorite people. I have so many favorite people. Make, make, uh, talk about talk <laughs> about a few. Talk about a few of your favorite folks and why. Uh, oh boy. Um, shit. Okay, let's see. Hmm, how can I do this? I don't want to like someone else be like, "Damn, she didn't say me." That's cold. <laughs> <laughs> they could be. They don't have to be people you know. Maybe it could be someone that you, uh, maybe a mentor that you don't know, or just anyone. Like who's who's one of your favorite people? Oh, okay. Like it should be anybody. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have to be alive or dead? Or does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. They could be alive matter. or dead. And you don't have to know them. You don't have to know them per- per- uh, personally. Uh, anthropology wise, David Attenborough. Oh, yeah. Fucking love that guy. Yeah. Did you know that David Attenborough has an Instagram? I think that's like <laughs> the coolest thing that happened in 2020. You it gives told me. me <laughs> it gives me faith. <laughs> Yeah, you told me that's badass. Um, yeah, I would say science is probably one of my favorite people. He's rad. Um, let's see. In music, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Cornell is one of my favorite people who uh, sadly died a few years ago. Rest in peace to him. He died in 2017. Yeah, that made me real sad. <laughs> um, just because. He's just one of those music, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge music person, obviously. So um, he's just one of those people that, you know, put a very big imprint of music in this world. And it was really sad when he died, you know. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, um, RIP, but he's still one of my favorites. For sure. Um, his shit, voice, his, uh, Chris Cornell's voice is entirely legendary. Nope. The saying "no one sings like you anymore" um, about him is very true. Yeah, nobody sings like him anymore. Uh, yeah, he's great. Actually, when I'm done with graduate school, which is soon coming here in a couple weeks, I can't wait to read books and like read books for myself. <laughs> so excited! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to like, read a book that's not academic. I mean, <laughs> I've been reading academic books for ten years. I just won't. I just want to read like a Harry Potter or something. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. But I have Chris Cornell, a biography, a Chris Cornell biography that I've just been, I've been sitting on forever that I want to read. And who, you know, I uh, obviously as a graduate student, I don't have time, but no. I cannot wait to read books. That's like my main, <laughs> like, yay. <laughs> yeah, so you, you heard that you heard that here folks before you go into grad school read all the books you can because after grad school or during grad school um you're, you're not gonna have any time for books so no 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 um i think that's uh that's pretty much all the questions um i have i mean i have so many other questions for you but um those are gonna be other <laughs> other other long podcasts but um yeah that's pretty much all the questions i have for you today i really 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 want to thank you for doing this um this is the second episode of anto for the homies and this is the first time i'm having a guest on so i really hope people enjoyed listening um you know to roxanne she had a lot of really really great things to say so thank you so much for being on roxanne i appreciate it you are welcome. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me. That was fun. I could sit here and talk about this shit all day, really. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, if we had all day. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Well, we have plenty of time um, with the pandemic. So like I said, I really hope uh, we could do this again um, in the future. I think that would be uh, super cool to, to do this again. You're super interesting guests and you have a lot of really, really cool yeah. stories and a lot of really, really cool 
um, information. So yeah, that's uh, this is Roxanne, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to Anto for the Homies. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. And please, 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 if you liked what you had to hear, or even if you think you like what's going to come up, please hit subscribe and please share this podcast with people who you think might be down with it. All right, folks, thank you very much for tuning in and uh, look forward to speaking to you again.